Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this section on, on love, especially these verses here, is one of the most quoted passages of Holy Scripture. Even unbelievers will quote from this chapter. It is a very famous chapter. But certainly the unbelievers, and often many believers, fail to see something very important. That this chapter, like all of the Word of God, cannot be understood apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. This chapter speaks of Christ. The description of love in our text makes no sense without Jesus. It is a description which begins with Christ and ends with Christ. God is love, and Jesus is the incarnation of the love of God. Incarnation meaning that he gives flesh and bones, literally, to the love of God. And there is no more powerful manifestation of this love than the fact that the Father has sent his own Son to die in our place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. And the interesting thing, the providential thing, is that 1 John 3.16 says something which echoes that. Now, of course, the, the chapter and verse dividers are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. They came a lot later in the history of the church. But by God's providence, if you turn to 1 John 3.16, then there John tells us that Christ taught us the meaning of love. And this is what he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's love. The Father of Christ manifested his divine love. Christ practiced this sacrificial love, and the Spirit of Christ applies this love in the hearts and the lives of those for whom Jesus died. And so, Romans 5, 5 again. We keep coming back to it. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That love of the Father manifest in the work and the person of the Son is brought to us by the Spirit. Now in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, the apostle says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God. And that's the point that Paul is making to the Corinthians here. He's speaking to this church, which is full of all kinds of temporary, special gifts of the Holy Spirit, which were very impressive. They were raising the roof. And he comes to this church, and he says, you're so spiritual. You're so full of the Holy Spirit. 
But if you have the spirit of Jesus, where is the love? You experience impressive things. You know so many deep things. You're doing so many things. But where is the love? Love is the primary, the fundamental proof of the work of the Spirit of Jesus in my heart. Love is the first fruit that the Spirit of Jesus produces in me. For the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so Paul in these verses 4 through to 7 of our chapter is describing that love. And when he describes that love, he is describing the Lord Jesus himself. He is describing how the Holy Spirit works in us to show Christ in us. And so this description here in these verses 4 through to 7 is so connected to Christ that we could put his name into it and we could read, Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And today as we pay attention to this description of Christian, Christ-like love, God calls you to stop trusting in anything else aside from Christ. To stop trusting in your position in the church, your reputation, your religious acts, your good works, your deep knowledge, all the great things that you think and know and do in the kingdom of God, as impressive as they may be. God comes to us this afternoon and asks this question, where is the love? Are you manifesting Christ in your life? Is the love of my son, which I have poured out into your heart by my spirit, is that love overflowing from you? Is it pouring out of you to your brother, your sister, your neighbor? Now, this is very important for us to reflect on carefully because we tend to get very practical about serving God and we make up these lists of things that we need to do and that we want to do to be good Christians. And we tend to focus on actions rather than on the heart. And the Bible tells us that the proof that I am a child of God is not the number of impressive things that I can do or have done or will do. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, Frightening words, terrifying words to those who would be activists rather than believers. He says, 722 of Matthew, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Those are terrifying words. 
And what the Lord is telling us is this, that proof that I am a child of God is not what I do for him, but it's what he does in me, that Jesus is present, that Jesus is manifesting himself in my heart, in my life. How? By the love that he pours into my heart, by the love that he produces in me with his indwelling spirit. And that's what we're going to look at as we go through the rest of the text this afternoon. This love is patient and kind. We've seen that this love does not envy. And if you have your Bible open, it will help you track with what I'm working on as we go through word by word. It does not envy. And the word here simply refers to people that get real uncomfortable when other people are getting the attention. Why, why is someone else getting the attention? I want that for myself. Why is somebody else being mentioned all the time in the church news? Why is somebody else uh, being put front and, and center in, the, in a certain activity or work of the church? Why is that person nominated for office or appointed to a committee and not me? And so that, that envy dislikes it very much when another member of the body is being honored. Instead of celebrating, it envies, it's jealous. Love does not envy, love doesn't do that, and love does not boast. And the word here has the idea of getting carried away, going way beyond, getting carried away by telling everyone how awesome you are. You ever been stuck maybe at a, a, a meeting or a social function with somebody that just can't stop talking about how awesome they are? It's painful. And the apostles saying, in the church, that's not what love does. It doesn't keep talking itself up. Love is not arrogant, verse 4, the end of verse 4. And here the word in the Greek refers to something that is inflated, somebody who's puffed up, self-inflated, thinking that I'm very important. That's not what love does. Love is not rude. That's the first word in verse 5. And the word rude here refers to people who act improperly, inappropriately, indecently. This was happening in Corinth. These so-called spiritual people, so full of all these gifts of the Spirit, they were using these special gifts to cause confusion and not in a way which which helped with the decency and good order of the worship of God's people. They did things which were impressive, but they did them in an inconvenient time and an inconvenient way, interrupting one another. One person had a word from God. They stood up and started talking. Then suddenly somebody had something to speak in tongues, and they interrupted the first person because, look, I've got the Spirit too. Can you please be quiet? It's my turn to shine. Imagine the chaos in the worship service there in Corinth. Now, that's, this was at a time when there were indeed special gifts. Those special gifts have now passed because as I've mentioned several times over the last few weeks, they were communicated to God's people through the laying on of hands of the apostles. And so we don't have any apostles around nowadays. Those special gifts cannot be passed on anymore. But I've seen in my work in South America, and I've 
heard testimonies of people that have been stuck in this false manifestation of Christianity of the same kind of thing happening with fake gifts. I remember particularly a testimony of a brother who came to know the Lord more in a more biblical way when he was in error. He was at a worship service where there were people doing all kinds of special things. And at one point, somebody jumped up and said, I am the Father, and started speaking as God in the first person. I say this, and I say that. And suddenly, somebody else jumped up and said, I am Jesus Christ, the Son. And then the first person said, well, I'm the Father. Can you be quiet? I have superiority here. I, I, I outrank you. And they started arguing. And if that wasn't bad enough, a third person jumped up and said, I am the Holy Spirit. And what you had in the end was the Trinity arguing in front of the church about who should be allowed to speak. That's blasphemous, and that's certainly rude. It's improper and inappropriate. Those are the kind of things that Paul is condemning here. Love is not rude. Now, we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, how opposite he is to all of that. You think of Philippians chapter 2, though he is equal to God, he does not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself, he humbled himself He came in human form and he humbled himself even to be a slave and to even unto death itself. And then you think of Psalm 40, which prophesies of the coming Messiah. I have come to do your will, O God. That's what Jesus did. He was always seeking to do what was right. Always seeking to ask, what does God want? He never chose the easy path of quick fame and quick success. The devil tried hard. You remember there in the desert? The devil knew that eventually the Lord Jesus ought to be glorified, as he is right now after doing his work. The devil said, why don't you take a shortcut which avoids the cross? Why don't you appear on the pinnacle of the temple and throw yourself down and be displayed before all the people as the Messiah? The angels will come and catch you up, and it will be a glorious thing. Why do you do that? And the Lord Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do things. I'm not going to use my power as Messiah for my own glory. I will humble myself. I will do the will of the Father. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. When you think of the DNA of sin, the DNA of sin, the essence of sin is selfishness. Ever since Adam and Eve, that is the essence of our sinful nature, selfishness, self-love being curved in on ourselves. And we often, we're really good at this actually, we often camouflage our selfishness with pious words and religious acts. Have you ever done that? I know I have. You can, be get, you can get really good at it. You want something for yourself and you manage to manipulate others and make yourself look like a very godly person to try to get them to do what you want. That's not what love does. The love of Christ compels us to be different. We seek God and the neighbor 
first, and you think of Philippians again, chapter 2, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then the apostle goes on to describe the humiliation of our Lord, that he humbled himself. As he said in his own words, I have not come to be served, but to serve. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. Have you ever been irritable? It's hard not to be irritable. This is connected with the last thing. When do we get irritated? Well, we get irritated when we can't get our way. When we want something and somebody or someone is in the way, we can explode. I want to just have a little bit of rest with a book. A little bit of me time. I'm tired and things have been stressful. Suddenly someone comes, a little child comes and demands my attention. And I just lose it. I'm irritated. And there are all kinds of examples you can fill in in your own life. Now Christ couldn't do this. Christ couldn't be irritable because he didn't seek his own interests. And so it was difficult for him to become exasperated or irritated. His righteous anger was reserved for situations when God's will was not respected. Can we say the same thing? Can we say that we get angry and righteously exasperated when God is disrespected? Or are we quicker to fly off the handle when we don't get our own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And there's a whole bunch of meaning behind this word resentful. You might even have a, a footnote in your Bible if you have the ESV. Literally, what the Greek says here is, love does not keep an accounting of wrongdoing. Love doesn't keep count of wrong. Now, we have in the congregation at least one professional accountant in the good sense. But all of us are professional accountants in the bad sense. We have a hard time forgetting anything done against us. Even the slightest offense, carefully recorded in every detail as unpaid, as a debt outstanding. Christ tells us, I want you to forgive your brother 70 times 7. Christ wants us to be quick to forgive. But think about your life and think about other people. Would you be able to write down every offense, every insult, every disappointment, every hurt? every injustice that everyone has ever done against you. I, I, I know I could probably. And there's probably a very, very large list. I, I'm, the list of what I've done to others is very short because I conveniently forget, but, but I remember what other people do to me. That's what the sinner does. And the apostle says that's not what love does. Love does not let you delight in keeping a huge pile of bitter things in your heart of resentment. That's not what love does. 
And if today you sit here in church and you have even one bitter thing in your heart, one resentment, even one thing that is undealt with, that, that you're holding on to, you've got to stop. You've got to stop keeping account of wrong. You've got to deal with it. It's going to kill you. It's going to shrivel your heart and your soul. It's going to rob you of the joy of salvation. It's going to destroy and poison your relationships. If you're carrying resentment in your heart, know this. Number one, you're a human being. We all fall into this sin. It's not that you're worse than other people. But know this as well. You need to bring it to Christ. You need to give it over to the Lord and you need to deal with it in a way which pleases him. And if it involves confronting someone for sin against you, even if it's 30 years ago, then do that. And if you need help doing it, reach out to your brothers and sisters and reach out to the elders, but you've got to deal with it. And it's got to be dealt with in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ with confession, repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. You look at the Lord Jesus, he didn't keep a record of wrong. He could have. He was abandoned by his disciples. He was betrayed by Peter, and yet he died for his flock. He died for his sheep, and when he rose from the dead, he gathered with those same disciples that had run away from him and left him in the lurch. And to those weak disciples who in the hour of need had shown themselves to be useless, and untrustworthy to those weak, sinful men that had hurt him so badly. You remember the look that he gave to Peter. To them, he entrusted his most precious possession, the church which he bought with his own blood. And you remember the scene there on the beach and him speaking with Peter. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Jesus didn't keep a record of wrongs. Jesus, the love of Jesus, washed away and forgave those wrongs and restored the relationship. You think of Paul. Paul persecuted the church. And Christ called him to pastor it. Love is not resentful. And verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. What does Paul say to the Philippians, chapter 4? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Christians, those who are filled with the love of God, love to set before our eyes and set before our ears and our minds, good, holy, true, beautiful things, not evil things, not wrongdoing. Wrongdoing is anything which is against the will of God. Now, here's the problem. By nature, we love wrongdoing. Our old nature delights in wrongdoing. It's an incredible draw, right? That's why the devil doesn't have a hard time tempting us because the devil puts something wrong in front of our eyes. And as Christians, we said, no, I don't want that. 
I don't want to think about that. I want to do, don't want to do that. I don't want to look at that. But our old nature says, oh, yes, I'll sign up for that. Our old, our old nature, a fifth column within us, wants to open up the gates and invite the enemy right in. And our old nature falls under the condemnation of Romans chapter 1, verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And so by nature, we certainly love sin. Sin is a very attractive thing. But when Jesus is manifested in us, when Christ comes into our hearts, he changes us. And we don't like injustice. And we hate wickedness more and more. And we love the truth more and more. And so when we see something that is wrong and corrupt, we cannot play along with it. We can't keep silence. We can't just look the other way. As we read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Do you notice that happening in your life, that there's a change, that the Spirit is working? Do you notice that more and more you, you cannot find enjoyment in things which displease God. It might be a movie or a book. It might be a song, a popular song. It might be a computer game which celebrates perversion, which delights in wickedness, which glorifies sin. It might be a show that you're watching on TV or live. It might be a party you're at where, where sin is celebrated or at least tolerated and is present and if you're a Christian, the more God works in your heart, the more you say, no, I, I can't do that. I don't want that. And if you can stand it, if it's not such a big deal, or if you even enjoy it, then you need to be asking yourself this. Is my heart really changed by the love of God? Or am I still lost in my sin? Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, what does that mean? Love bears all things, endures all things. Does that mean to say that love just puts up with everything? So someone's being abused, and love bears all things. Love endures all things. So I guess I've just got to put up with this abuse. Is that what Jesus is telling us? Well, no, of course not. Didn't we just hear what the Holy Spirit told us? Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love takes no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but exposes them. So the Holy Spirit is certainly not saying to us that when there is injustice and wickedness and abuse perpetrated against us, that we're like, well, I'm just going to endure it because I'm full of the love of God. That's not what the Holy Spirit's teaching us here. Perhaps it will help to translate these words in a slightly different way, which brings out kind of a, a different aspect to the 
the prepositions there. Love bears, believes, hopes, endures in all things. There's the preposition, which doesn't come out in the English. In all things. What is, what is the Holy Spirit teaching us? That in every situation, in every circumstance, love keeps being love. You can pile all the attacks of the evil one, all the attacks of the kingdom of darkness. You can pile on all the wickedness and all the demons of hell and all the hate and all the opposition and all the mocking, all the ridicule, all the injustice and all the abuse. But love doesn't break. Love will never break under the strain. It bears up. It keeps believing. It keeps hoping. It keeps enduring. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Love never fails. That's an incredible comfort. That all the powers of hell, the gates of hell themselves can be arrayed against the church and against you, believer. And you will continue in the love of God. You will bear it. You'll keep believing, keep hoping, and keep enduring. And the greatest example of this is our Lord Jesus Christ. You think of Psalm 22. You think of the accounts, the crucifixion accounts in the Gospels. You think of Isaiah chapter 53. You think of our Savior and the greatest torment and agony and suffering of hell. Where all the, the demons were attacking him. And he kept loving. Kept loving God kept loving his neighbor. He didn't forget to keep the fifth commandment to love his mother. There in his greatest agony in the torment of hell, Jesus said to the apostle, son, behold your mother, woman, behold your son. He, he gave his mother into the care of the apostle. He loved his mother. He kept the fifth command. And he could have come down from the cross in a blaze of glory. He could have destroyed his enemies, but he didn't. He stayed on the cross. Now, why did he stay on the cross? Because God so loved the world. Because Christ loves you with an eternal love. And that love, even all the powers of hell, could not Break. Jesus knew that if he came down from the cross and destroyed his enemies, we would end up in hell because he wouldn't pay for our sins and we would have to pay for them ourselves. So he stayed. He loved God. He loved his neighbor. There he was on the cross, forsaken by the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was there in the darkness, and yet he did not stop believing and he did not stop loving 
even to that God who seemed so distant, who seemed to have left him alone, Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He did not stop hoping in the goodness of God. So you see there on the cross, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. He never stopped hoping and believing in the goodness of God. He said to the thief, the repentant thief, the repentant criminal, he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And he said that when for him everything looked absolutely dark and hopeless. And yet he held on to the truth of God's word. There on the cross, where the justice and mercy of God met, Christ showed us that love endures. Not all the eternal wrath of God against sin could undo his profound eternal love for his son and for his chosen ones. And that love, that enduring love, that unbreakable love, he pours out onto his church. It fills the church, it fills each believer, and therefore, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. He has poured that love into my heart. He, Christ, manifests himself in my life. The love of Jesus in my heart. The love of Jesus overflowing from me, pouring out from me. It has no end. It is an infinite, a divine, an eternal, a limitless love. You know, sometimes we're a little bit worried about how we love. We think, well, I've only got so much to give. But if we're connected to Christ, we have an infinite amount to give. Not even the greatest suffering in my life can end the love that the Spirit of Christ is producing in me. This is the essence of the Christian life, Christ in me. The love of God dwelling in my heart and this love that fills me, this love that has changed me, this love will never end. It will never fail. It will never run out because I am connected to the source. And nothing and nobody can disconnect me from that source. And so I want to end by reading what we sang this morning. We sang this morning Romans chapter 8. And I want to read verses 35 through to 39. Romans 8, 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is that most excellent way. Amen.